This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. If you go to talk to your doctor, the first thing he says is, you should increase your calcium intake. And then in the same breath, they'll say, oh, by the way, also add some vitamin D to that. And that's a classic that everybody recommends. And the reason they recommend that is because the feeling is that, well, bones, the primary mineral in there is calcium, what they use to strengthen the bones, etc. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about bone and joint health. We'll hear how to mindfully save the planet. We'll explore cooking with an Instant Pot. And lastly, we'll discuss how to get ready to exercise outdoors in spring. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jamie, and thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. You are a wealth of knowledge. And today, we're going to talk about a topic uh, that I think we touched upon maybe a long time ago, but it's always good to come back to it because it's such an important part of people's lives, particularly the Zoomer listeners, and that is bone and joint health, right? Definitely. It's interesting when we talk about bone and joint health. Um, everybody, as we get older, the message we get from the doctors, even my parents when they go see the doctor, invariably I, I hear the message, you know what, your bones are getting less dense. Yep. So that means the bones are thinning. Or the other complaint is, oh, this hurts, that hurts, etc. right? Yes. We'd like to think it's the same mechanism, but actually the mechanism is a little bit different on, on everything that we talk about. Let's just chat a little bit about osteoporosis, which sure. is the, the, the thinning of the bones. Osteoporosis seems to happen more in women than in men. I shouldn't say it happens more. It, it affects women more than in men. Men also get more brittle bones, but not to the same extent that women that women get. Is that because men's bones tend to be larger and thicker to begin with? Or? It could be, or men do a lot more weight strength-bearing tasks than women do. Yes. That may be. Uh, during when you're younger years, if you're a bodybuilder, etc., or you use weights, or you lift a lot of stuff, 
you know, the, the natural wear and tear on your bones seems to strengthen your bones to make it thicker so you can walk around with more weight. So it's like even with women, heavier women, right, tend to have stronger bones than skinnier women who in their younger days who, who are not overweight, right? Yeah. And it has to do with weight bearing. And so as like anything else, if you stress it, when you're young, it strengthens it. And so to the point when you get older, you have a, a bigger buffer for want of saying. So if women in their younger age days do a lot of um, strength training, so like lifting weights, etc., they build, it strengthens their bone, which as they get older, doesn't get as brittle as women who, who never did any of those type of exercises. It's still beneficial to do it even when you're in middle age though too, right? Oh, definitely. It doesn't hurt to start doing it because I've seen studies where they got people who were um, bedridden, well, not bedridden, but um, could barely Sedentary. get around. Yeah. Sedentary, no, older people. Yeah. who could barely get around and basically they put them on a weight training type regimen I mean they're not lifting Arnold Schwarzenegger type weights right. okay yeah, yeah. but they're lifting maybe 10 pounds 20 pounds etc as the case may be but it was a, a, a program that they were doing and what they found was that even after a little bit of training their mobility increased tremendously that's one secondly it helped with, with their um, osteoporosis so it's very vitally important to talk about exercise in this okay all right so i i took you off the train tracks you were telling us about osteoporosis and how it affects women more than men where were you going to go from there yeah well what i was going to talk about with, with women i mean everybody wants to talk about what supplements should we take for that right. right and this is something that will benefit both men and women now the classic thing that everybody t- talks to if you go to talk to your doctor the first thing he says is you should increase your calcium intake right and then with the same in the same breath they'll say oh by the way also add some vitamin d to that and that's a classic that everybody recommends right. all right and the reason they recommend that is because the feeling is that well bones the primary mineral in there is calcium is what what they use to, to strengthen the bones etc and vitamin d helps deposit calcium into the bone tissue so it makes sense yes however what they don't also they, no, nobody ever talks about is the fact that in order to build uh, how how do you modify bone you have to build a bone right there's also breakdown of bone at the same time yes so what you have to do is to help control the breakdown of the bone and remember uh, i've been harping about inflammation and so on well the process of getting rid of bone is an inflammatory process right so if you can control that breakdown of the bone you actually can help promote bone buildup are you saying that inflammation causes the bone itself to break down one of the causes yes there is an inflammatory component so this is why i'm also promoting take some uh, good antioxidants with whatever regimen you're doing because again even if you don't believe the thing about the bone anti-inflammatory not anti-inflammatories but antioxidants is a very good way of controlling a lot of inflammatory processes that go on in the body Okay. Right, so if from diet, fruits and vegetables, green leafy vegetables, that's a very good way of doing it. As we grow older, you know, it, there, there's a push for us to consume more, more plant foods or plant-based foods. But 
you know, there, there's a move afoot now to, to use the, um, or, you know, the Beyond Meat type of thing. Right. That stuff to me is over-processed. You need, the reason you want fresh green leafy vegetables because it has all the vitamins and the minerals, etc. that you would probably need. You may need to supplement some of that vitamins and minerals, but it's a good way of getting it into your system. Right. And, and you know, like nutrients like calcium can be found in leafy greens too, right? That's but right. Like if you're not a big milk drinker or if it upsets your stomach, you can get it that way too. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it boils down to how much can you consume? You see, that's the bottom line, yep. right? How much can you consume and how much does your body need? Now, getting a little bit away from calcium, but what people don't realize, you need things like magnesium. You need things like manganese. You need things like molybdenum, selenium, silicon, zinc, copper. Right? You need all of those minerals because what, the minerals serve several purposes. One of the things that the minerals do is that they're cofactors in a lot of enzymatic reactions. Okay? Mm-hmm. The reason you need enzymatic reactions is because something has to power the deposition of the minerals into the bone matrix. Okay, so this, you have to remember, if I'm building new bone, you, you build a scaffold, and then once you build a scaffold, what happens is then, then you have minerals that come and get deposited into the holes of the scaffold to, to actually form bone. Well, the building process of making the scaffold, you, you need these minerals. Right, mm-hmm. you need things like your B vitamins because one of the things that your B vitamins do is that they create the ATP necessary for you to actually power the, the process. Right, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Okay, so you need all of these things. The analogy I'll use is like if I'm trying to build a brick wall, and all I did was give you the bricks. Well, if you didn't know you had to scrunch for sand, cement. Right, gravel, water. You you can't really build a brick wall because you can yeah. stack the bricks up, but then what's going to happen? As soon as somebody pushes on it, the whole brick wall tumbles down. Right. So you need all those extra things to make it happen. You still need a guy to build a brick wall. You still need a guy who physically lifts the bricks and, and stacks them up. So it's the same thing in the body. If I need to build bone, I need the body's machinery to produce all these secondary nutrients, et cetera, to help build that tissue properly. Do most people get those building blocks through their normal diet though? Like, are you able to do that? Some do, some don't. It depends on what what you're eating, et cetera, all right? You know, like if you're strictly meat and potatoes, again, not to knock the people who eat meat and potatoes, those folks tend to not to, to get a lot of these nutrients. So what happens, as we go older, what happens, we have, we have a lot of these nutrients in our body. So sometimes what will happen, the, the body will say, well, I need to build bone. So if I can't get it in my food, guess where I'm getting it from? I'm going to start breaking down other tissues and use the components from the other tissues and repurpose it for building bone. So that's what that sometimes happens example I'll use is um, if you are on a keto diet, for example, yep. right? one of the things that happen is that you're taking in less carbohydrates and or, or virtually no carbohydrates, but the brain lives on carbohydrates. I mean, the, the brain needs sugars to function. It will not function on fat. It needs sugar. So the, what the body does, the body has the ability to take biochemically change fat into sugar, Okay, yep. it, ha- it has that ability, and that's what keeps the brain alive, right? So that's why the keto diet will, will work. But it's like anything else, 
you have to break down tissue for it to happen. So if you if you're going to uh, doing um, rebuilding bone etc. or trying to deposit bone, this is what happens. This is why also if you look at the calcium story and, and osteoporosis. A lot of people who have lower bone density, if you measure their blood calcium levels, it is actually normal. And the reason it's normal is because the level of calcium in your blood is very important because calcium does many jobs. Right? And I'm just looking at calcium. There's a whole yeah. bunch of other stuff that I'm not even talking about, okay? But just calcium. So in order for the, uh, for the calcium, sometimes the level to remain normal, what does the body do? It takes the calcium out of the bone and pumps it in, in into the blood, and and that's how it's able to maintain normal calcium levels, right? Now the the question is, um, why? Where is all this calcium going? We don't know. We just know as we get older, you know, um, the, the the amount of calcium we intake for whatever reason doesn't seem to suffice. So we have to get cal. Um, it, the bone gets remodeled, so the calcium comes out of it. But as the calcium comes out. We, we're also taking out zinc, copper, all these type of things also. So is it easy, like, forgive my ignorance on this, but can, can people be tested as to whether or not they're having low uh, bone density? Oh, but- yeah, you can check. It's easy to test for bone density, right? That's that's the basis of saying that you're osteoporotic right. or yeah, not, yeah. right? But if if you but if people say, well, okay, your bone density is low, so so that should be because your calcium levels are low. But when they measure your blood, your calcium's are fine, right? Yeah, right, right. And so they'll they'll say, well, your calcium's are fine. So why why is it why osteoporotic? Where's this calcium going? Right. Right. You know, and these are some of the, the questions that, that are being asked today, and they're still trying to figure it out. But then we also intake calcium in our diet. So the question becomes is why is this calcium not being tri- used to increase the bone density, et cetera? Right. And sometimes that has to do with the fact that the cofactors are not there. Right. We know we, d- we need vitamin D to help incorporate calcium into a bone, right? But what I'm trying to say is that the message that a lot of people seem to forget is that we also need a lot of the other nutrients for this process to happen properly. So let's focus on the supplement side for the last few minutes of the interview. And and that is, how do we know which supplements to take and which are the best and which are actually helping us with dealing with osteoporosis? You see, when, when you ask that question, my answer to that is that building bone does not occur in a vacuum. Right. All right. And so when, when we ask the question, which supplements directly works on this? It's sort of a valid question, but also not a valid question because we're looking at this in a vacuum. And this is why I tend to look at a, and, and in our, in our, in our industry, we call it a more holistic approach. We, we want to look at everything all at once. But anytime you look at everything all at once, the picture gets more confused, yeah. right? Uh, when, when we were at university, we taught, everything was taught in systems, okay? And sometimes after you finish going through all of these things, you, you think that that little system occurred in a vacuum and none of the other systems touch that system. But we know that's false. So this is why one I'm saying, one of the things that you should be taking is to take, take a good B vitamin, uh, a B supplement, right? A B complex supplement. So you have things that B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, right? B9, B12. You need all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Biotin, etc. Yep. You need all of those things. 
right? Don't forget to take a good antioxidant because one of the things we know about when we remodel bone, etc., right? If we if if there's a huge um, <clears throat> inflammation component, uh, a, a, a what I call a chronic inflammatory component, we need to control that. If we can control that by with using antioxidants, etc., it makes the building the bone building process happen better. Meaning that, uh, by that I mean that we build a bone, right? It stays. The analogy I like to use for that is um, if I'm building a brick wall, I have a guy putting all the bricks up with mortar and cement, etc. And then I have another guy who is Mr. um, Inflammation. He's taking a chisel and a hammer and he's knocking the, the bricks out as we go along, right? So pretty well, it's a race between the guys filling in the bricks and the guys taking the bricks out. Now, if I can stop the guy from Mr. Inflammation from taking the bricks out, then my brick wall grows faster and builds and gets stronger, right? And that's what I'm trying to do. So anti-inflammatory um, antioxidants is a wonderful thing to take as part of your, uh, as part of your, um, of your treatment regimen. Right. Fantastic. Take, make sure you also take a lot of the trace minerals. Right. So the trace minerals like the copper, the, magne- the, the manganese, the selenium, the silicon, all of those things are helpful in the process of building bones. Okay. Fantastic. So, so those are some of the things that uh, that I stress on. Just don't take a look at. Uh, we we tend to fall into that trap. This thing is calcium is good for building bones, so that's all we take, and we ignore everything else. So that's the takeaway today then, right? Don't just focus on the calcium. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Gordon. Thank you for having me again, Jamie. We're going to hear back from you next month, but we have to take a short break. We'll be right back on The Tonic. And now the group travel tidbit brought to you by EF Go Ahead Tours Canada. Experience the world like a local by traveling alongside expert guides who call your destination home. Enjoy authentic meals, immersive sightseeing, and enriching cultural activities. They'll handle all the details. Here's Kate Edge with this week's reason to travel solo, but not alone. Group tours are the safest way to travel. There's an underlying truth to the concept of safety in numbers. You don't have to worry about accessing locations on your own. Our tour activities are curated with your comfort in mind. This has been your group travel tidbit. For more information, visit goaheadtours.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sograti. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She specializes in training yoga teachers, and she's the co-founder of Evolve Retreat, a phenomenal opportunity for women to celebrate and grow together in Costa Rica. For more information, visit EvolveRetreat.org. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Um, so good. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm thrilled about our topic today. Yeah, some heavy lifting, though, right? I know. Big, big promise. Will there, will there, will there be a big deliver? Stay tuned. I'm hoping. Just, just sign up. Sign up. How are we going to save the world with mindfulness? You, you, I've been waiting to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... 
with you know, open heart and open it, mind. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I wasn't being sarcastic. I know, I know. So, you know, Jamie, the thing is, okay, so is mindfulness itself going to save the planet? No. Are the people who choose to consciously practice mindfulness going to make different choices that will then in turn save the planet? Yes. Oh, there we go. Okay, so that's the, the layered context. I wanted to get a little granular about it. Okay. So, okay, so I think we have to first kind of step back and go, okay, well, what is mindfulness? And I know your listeners love, you know, thinking about mindfulness and talking about it, but let's just step back and go, okay, if we define it, it's a learned practice, okay? And the learned practice means anyone can learn to do it. Yes. And it's centered around an intentional, compassionate, and non-judgmental attentiveness to the present moment, mm-hmm. right? So this is about building our capacity to be aware and present in the present moment. And that then allows us to be open to new information, right? Yes. And to connect both to our bodies, right? Because so, if we're in the present moment, we have to connect to our bodies and we have to connect to our surroundings. Now, why, why does this matter? And, and I think that the number one reason that this matters is because what I observe, and I'm curious about your experience in the world and the work that you do, but what I observe when I'm talking to my clients or my students is that people um, have this kind of fatigue almost when they, when they hear about what's happening, for example, with climate change um, you know, in Australia, in California, um, and they feel so overwhelmed by it, by seeing the images, and at the same time so um, helpless and, and as if they don't have the power as an individual to do something. Hmm. Do, do you find that? Yeah, I would say there's another couple of issues compounding people's feelings on those issues, and that is uh, we live in the age of information but not fact so we are inundated with opinions which may or may not be grounded in reality Mm -hmm. which make matters worse right because everything is up for debate now there's no like i I, i'm a subjectivist at heart so i i struggle with the notion of objective truth but there are scientific truths and and if they're being obfuscated by hyperbole and politics and nonsense it makes it hard to know how to react, number one. Yeah. And yeah. number two, the sheer volume of information that's being thrown at people now makes it impossible to take everything in. You don't know how to prioritize. You yeah, d- people are just flooded all the time. Right? That's exactly so like, what it is. They're flooded all the time. So like we can watch the fires in Australia... But then we can also go online and see that like every single day there's an asteroid that might hit the planet. Yeah. Now, both of them are very serious, but if you dissect it, one is hyperbole and nonsense and clickbait, and the other yeah. is very real and serious. Yeah, exactly. And the time that it takes to actually dissect that and get at what is the factual truth, right? Yep. Often people don't have it. Yep. People don't have it. So, so going back to mindfulness, yep. um, what mindfulness allows you to do is just stay with yourself in the present moment, connect to your body, connect to the environment, and through that, uh, be able to tolerate all of the confusing feelings that you might have about the information that comes at you. And if you can, if you can sort of wade through, like if you can find the center of the storm when you're confused about something, it will allow you to then connect to, okay, what am I actually able to do as an individual person who's, you know, a mom or a dad or, you know, a business owner to, to do my part in the world, okay? Yep. But you can't do that if you're in a flooded state. 
so that that's how it helps first of all and and the key to that is really is, is to sit and, and practice open awareness every day for even five minutes okay so then we have to ask the question okay well how can a regular mom or dad grandparent business owner actually do something in their daily lives and and they think this is where we have to talk about consumption yep Okay? Because when we're mindful, what we're doing is paying attention to the way that we are in the world as human beings. What we control within ourselves. Yep. What we control within ourselves. And there's so much evidence out there that overconsumption, and I, by overconsumption, I'm, I'm, I guess I am talking about food, but mostly what I'm talking about here is, is also of material possessions. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and overconsumption correlates to less happiness, less financial wealth, lower self-esteem, more anxiety, and poorer social relationships. And that's directly from a study, um, which you can link that study in your notes if you like. So we know that there's, again, if you look at the difference between fact and hyperbole, right? we know that overconsumption correlates with all of these things. And yet, one of the number one things in North American culture, anyway, that people do is, is we get on this hamster wheel of consumption where we're just buying, 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 right? And thinking that consuming, if I have a different house or if I have different clothes or if I have, you know, this item that I'm going to be happy then, right? And Well, retail therapy, right? I mean, like if you watch Mad Men, the whole premise is, you know, there's groups of people out there that are making us feel that we'll be fulfilled if only we bought this or only we buy that, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, if we, well, first of all, that's going to drive all of these industries that are selling us the goods, right? So they're going to want to keep us in that state. So that drives those industries. But if we kind of slow down and we start to consider either, I mean, there, there are different ways we can look at We can look at, okay, well, where are the goods coming from? And, you know, I was recently teaching this workshop and I was trying to connect uh, people's awareness to consumption back to, okay, well, who's producing your goods? Right. And the U.S. Department of International Labor Affairs, they they have a report that's brilliant, and it actually listed 148 goods from 76 countries that are produced either by child labor or forced labor, which is slave labor, right? So if we start to be able to tolerate getting this information from a good and reliable source, right, and we pay attention to where things come from, like chocolate, chocolate, or sorry, coffee, diamonds, things like that, then... You know, it gives us just a little bit of space before we buy that item mm-hmm. to kind of consider well, now what, like, what kind of effect, like that butterfly effect, am I kind of throwing out into the world by telling the people that I'm buying this from that it's okay for them to produce this good. So the ethical aspect of consumption. It's the ethical aspect, right? And the more we can sit with ourselves, the more we can tolerate actually thinking about the ethical aspects. Yep. So the, the next way that I think that mindfulness can save the world, and this is where ah, it's kind of sticky territory, and this, is, this is really uh, has to do with climate change. Okay. And you know, one of the things that we promote from the perspective of mindfulness is mindful eating. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about mindful eating before, um, both uh, it's about what you eat, right, yeah. and how you eat, so those two things. And I was uh, I was looking at some information on David Suzuki's website, so he's amazing. And you know, one of the things that he posted was that uh, there was a study that came out of Oxford 
that found that global agriculture-related emissions could be cut by a third by 2050 if people simply followed simple health guidelines on meat consumption. Okay, so that's by one-third, right? Mm -hmm. Then, by 63% with widespread adoption of a vegetarian diet and 70% with a vegan diet. Yeah, people don't appreciate how livestock actually affects uh, climate change. It's Well, it's the number one cause of yeah. climate change. There's more, there's more gas emissions yeah. from the guts of pigs and, and cows uh, and more uh, defoliation uh, yeah. through agriculture. Yeah. Uh, then there is emissions through vehicles. Yeah, and well, this is exactly this is exactly it. It would make more of a difference for us to reduce our meat consumption than it would even to change our car, right? Which yep. is which is pretty mind blowing, right? So if you think if you extend mindfulness, which is simply the act of paying more attention, being more aware of what you're eating, what you're buying. Right. If we if we shift it and look look at our food through that lens, then just a simple thing like this could make a difference. And you know, there's um, James Cameron and his wife are are actually doing this huge promotion right now, which I love, which is one vegan meal a day. So they're trying to get families just to commit to one vegan meal a day. And I believe, I, I don't have the exact stats on it, but I believe if each of us did one vegan meal a day, that would save the amount of um, pollution from driving uh, between California and New York City across the whole country. For how many people? For every person. Oh, so that's the equivalent. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's it you know, you don't have to you don't have to become completely vegan because I know for many people um, there's a, there are social and cultural contexts around There's that. also nutritional issues too. I and mean, the, it, and nutritional issues as well, yep. right? But it's just about even if you follow the nutritional guidelines, you could still have one vegan meal a day, follow the nutritional guidelines, um, you know, laid out by dietitians of Canada or the US and it would make a huge impact on climate change. We have time for one last earth-shattering, earth-saving idea. What's it going to be? Okay, so the last thing um, is mindfulness can impact energy use and transportation choices. So when we pay attention to what we do, it means that we plan for our next car to be electric, right? We choose to carpool, right, or work remotely, and not use transportation at all or just use our legs or our bikes. Sounds great. That's it. Well, that's pretty simple. We should all be able to do it. Simple, easy, you can do it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. We'll hear back from you next month, right? Yes, can't wait. Awesome. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living a very long, pain-free, energized life. Your body's craving heirloom nano and micronutrients that you'll use to elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. Activation makes all this possible no matter how old or young you are. The precious time, energy, and money you invest to be healthy is taken very seriously by Activation. It's their responsibility to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. People consistently report back the most beautiful health results when they daily consume products from Activation. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a luxurious body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and subscribe for the most important health information and products. Or call 1-866-271-7595. 
The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest has been writing for Tonic Magazine for over five years. And since 2015, she's written the very popular cookbook review column, My Wife Naomi. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? Good, thank you. So we're going to talk about Instant Pots today. And this is nothing to do with cannabis. (laughs) This is a cooking segment. It is. But people may not know what an Instant Pot is. So why are we talking about Instant Pots? What's it all about? An Instant Pot is a multifunctional cooking device. It is a pressure cooker, slow cooker, rice cooker, yogurt maker, saute, sauteer, steamer, all in one. Saute pan, I guess. Saute pan. Yeah. Yeah, all in one. It's a very high-tech pot you know, that you plug in, and it has all these different functions. Right. It's essentially a pressure cooker with... A computer attachment, which allows you to use it for different functions. But the utility of it isn't just that it does different things. It's in the way that you can use it and what it replaces, right? Right. So unlike a slow cooker, the Instant Pot can brown uh, food so that a slow cooker, it might make things very tender, but it wouldn't brown it. Whereas this, you use the saute function to brown, say, meat if you're cooking meat, and then you could use it as a slow cooker or you could use it as a pressure cooker and then cook the meat much faster. So it's multifunctional. So you can uh, make soup by sauteing, say, onions and vegetables in the pot, then add whatever it is, meat or vegetables that you're adding, and cook the soup in the pressure cooker all in one pot. So it right. saves time um, and dishes that way. And because it's programmable, you can, you know, once you get proficient with it, you can set it up so that it's cooking overnight or it's cooking when you're at work. And unlike other pressure cookers, there's less danger that there's going to be mishap. Yeah, I mean, you can't stir it. You you can't watch it because you can't even open it while it's cooking. I mean, it depends, obviously, how long the process is taking. But you could program it when you leave in the morning, and then it would cook, and then when you come back, it would be it would be ready. Right. Depending on what it is you're making. And the amazing thing is, for an appliance like that, it's actually not that expensive. No, I think it's come down in price. It's it was about one hundred and fifty dollars, but now you can. They keep seeing sales, and I got ours on sale, and it can be under $100. Right. There's also Which, three different sizes. It depends what size you And we, we got the big one, right? Yes. And they're not a, they're not a sponsor. We're just, we're just talking yeah. about it. But, you know, it sounds like a lot of money for, you know, a pot. But when you consider what it replaces, I mean, if I were going away to school, or I had a dorm, or I had a, a very small kitchen without a lot of room, this is something that is highly functional and would obviate the need for a lot of different other things. So even though in and of itself, $100 may seem like a lot for a pot, it actually isn't considering what it does. Yes. Our daughter just got one. She bought it with her birthday money. She bought an Instant Pot and yeah. she's been busy making soup. It's uh, So yes, not not a sponsor at all. Just do want to make that clear. I'd been hearing about it for a few years. It's a bit of a fad, right? It was a bit of a fad and I thought maybe it was just a fad and I, you know, we don't have a lot of room for storage. I didn't want another pot. 
I was waiting to see you also weren't so excited about uh, buying it or using it. And it actually came out in 2010, which surprised me because I thought it was only a few years old, but it only became popular a few years ago. And now it's everywhere. But there's some benefits to that because now there's a ton of recipes and they've refined it, I think, from from the start. You know, there's new versions of it. And the price came down. Everybody knows how to use it. Right. It's like the uh, same thing happened with the Cuisinarts. When they first came out, they were super expensive. And then they be, there was sort of like a tipping point where the early adopters transitioned into, you know, the general public and the price came down and everybody sort of had them. And I think that's what happened here. Yeah, I know. I really did think of the Malcolm Gladwell book that, you know, that I, the Instant Pot may have reached the tipping point. You know, I was not one of the early adopters. I wasn't the first one to rush out and buy the Instant Pot. But now we have one along with many thousands of maybe even millions of people, like a lot have been sold. Yes. And it's Canadian. Yes. It was it, it was originally Canadian, but it's all over the world now. Fantastic. Okay. So let's talk about what you've made with it. I have made a few things. Well, for one thing, I've made, it cooks beans really well. It legumes does. really well. Like, so dried beans, if you, cans don't really need to be cooked, but the dried beans, which usually you have to soak overnight and then cook for at least an hour. And then they, they kind of, they can be kind of tough. They have finicky, like you can't cook them with salt. In the pressure cooker, they cook for like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, depends on the beans, if you soak them overnight. And if you don't soak them, it cooks for a bit longer, but they still turn out really well, like a very good texture. And beans, you know, even canned beans aren't that expensive, but dried beans have to be the biggest bargain out there. So, you know, if you can use dried beans, they're easier to store, they'll, they'll store almost forever. So if you have a convenient, quick way of cooking them, it really is a huge benefit. Yeah, if you're a vegetarian, you're going to cook lots of beans, and we're not, but we still use them. We had the week of beans, though, where you, where you were where you were experimenting with it. There was a lot of beans. It was, but we made chana masala, which is an Indian dish. We made hummus, which was really, really good because the, the chickpeas got very smooth. I made uh, borlotti beans with garlic and spices, So and, and then I made navy bean soup, too, bean and yeah. bacon soup. So like, a lot of beans. Definitely cooks beans well. I also made brisket. So we talked about brisket last month being a labor of love. But in the Instant Pot, it cooks much faster. It's a game changer. It is. It cooked for an hour and a half rather than five hours. I will say this. uh, We have the big Instant Pot. So you can fit a fair bit of brisket in there, but you can't sort of leave it whole because it needs to be chopped. You have to cut it up. Yeah, you have to cut it into pieces. So if if you are looking for a brisket to remain whole and slice thin for a big dramatic reveal, this may not be the approach for you. But... It saves hours and hours in cooking time. Yeah, and it was very tender. It was absolutely delicious, and and I I recommend it. And easy. So meat, you know, I wanted to try meat because uh, braising meat is one one of the key things that the pot does. Another thing that we tried was yogurt, which seemed like a strange thing to make, but I kept reading about how Instant Pot yogurt was a good thing. And, you know, it's less expensive. It doesn't have any additives. And um, I thought... You know, why not try it? And it worked really well. Yeah, it was delicious. We've been having yogurt for breakfast. And, and the, the key difference is, you know, most of the yogurts that you're going to buy in the store have gelatin added to it. You can buy it without. So the texture of yogurt is kind of, it isn't quite jello, but it's a lot firmer than actual yogurt is. Like a natural yogurt, uh, it isn't necessarily runny, but it's not going to hold its, its shape the way like store-bought yogurt might. But not having the additives to it, there is a, you, you can taste the difference between a fresh yogurt and one that you're buying in the store. 
And you can add sugar if you like sweetened yogurt. You can you can add、mm. it to the to the yogurt as you're cooking it. But we we didn't because、no. we have granola and fruit. Well, if you don't add sugar to it, you can use it for savory applications,、mm-hmm. right? So you know, yes. But it's easy enough to to put some sort of like even maple syrup or something to flavor it if you really wanted to. Yeah. So it seemed to work well. You know, I was happy. Now I would say it's not just something you can just. Play around with you. You can once you know how to use it.、Yeah. You need to be careful. Yeah, it's not. It's not like putting a pot on your stove. You know, like if you're learning to cook, it's not like filling it with water. You know, like it's a little more complicated. You do have to read the instructions, which I don't like doing, but you really do,、uh, and make sure you don't burn yourself when the steam releases from the、uh, pressure cooker. There's a ton of recipes that came with the recipe booklet. There's there's cookbooks now and recipes on websites like Food Fifty Two and the Kitchen. I think it's worth it to buy a book, or at least you know have a have a reliable source for you know for cooking at least to start. Once you know the techniques, then you can change it up. You know you can change the spices or the vegetables. But in terms of how much liquid there needs to be and how long to cook something, you you actually need to follow. A yeah, it's it's much more precise. I would say you know you can't monkey around. You can't be casual with it. If it says to cook something for twenty minutes, you cook it for twenty minutes. Or if it says an hour. It's an hour. It's not an hour and ten minutes. It's not fifty minutes. It is what it is. I have a cookbook which can be used for different kinds of pressure cookers,、uh, but the author said if you're using an instant pot, which is a particular brand, it will flash this at this time. You know, it will say this when you program it. It'll say boil with the yogurt. It'll say yogurt when the yogurt is ready. That was really helpful because it wasn't working. I didn't have it on the right setting, and I thought. Hmm, I think this isn't right because she said it. She was very specific about what should be flashing, and it's not. And so I fixed it. If I had just carried on my merry way, it would have ruined the yogurt. That's good advice. So, which cookbooks do you recommend? Melissa Clark, Dinner in an Instant. She's also written a second one, Comfort in an Instant. I'm a big fan of Melissa Clark, who writes for the New York Times, and I have other books of hers. And so she, she's very trustworthy and she's got good recipes. So that's one. Definitely to try a lot of different kinds of recipes. If you're vegan or vegetarian, or you want to, you know, you like to cook like that. Sometimes there's a woman named Nisha Vora, and she wrote the Vegan Instant Pot Cookbook. She also has a blog called Rainbow Plant Life, so you can look at the blog. But the book book was good too. She had all kinds of extra charts and cooking times in her book that weren't on the blog. So that, that was a good one too. There's one called the Instant Pot Bible by Bruce Weinstein and Mark Scarborough. It's a big, you know, kind of like the joy of cooking. 350 recipes, N- no pictures though. So if you like pictures, you know, maybe you want to. Smaller- I think pictures are helpful. Yeah. But that book is another, you know, real covers everything. How to use the Instant Pot, and you know, worth getting or worth looking at. A couple other authors are somebody named Coco Moranti and、uh, Daniel Shumsky that have written books that are very well regarded. I haven't personally looked at them though. And for those who are interested in the cookbooks, I'm gonna in the show notes we'll do links to all these books that Naomi's referencing if you want to follow up with them. One last note, and that is, instant pot is a very environmental way to cook, isn't it? It is, and I I didn't even think of that right away. And、uh, but it is, it is apparently seventy percent more energy efficient, or at least I read that statistic, than using the oven. And so even though it gets plugged in, first of all, you're cooking things for less time, but the 
using the plug as opposed to the oven is way more energy efficient. So it saves energy and saves money, better for the environment, which is a which is an important thing to mention. Good way to end this. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, you'll be back next month with more cooking advice. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian, family-owned for over 30 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one using state-of-the-art scientific instruments and procedures. You get exactly what's promised on the label. Nothing more, nothing less. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on CityLine, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer, and the Toronto Star. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's great to be here. So this is exciting. <laughs> that We're spring's all, maybe coming? Yeah, spring is here. <laughs> it's here. And that means more people are going to transition from hibernating and going to gyms and in their basements to getting outside, which is always a good thing. It's always a good thing. It's the best place to be. There's so many health benefits from being outside. We want to always try to encourage people to get outside as much as possible. I enjoy working outside better. I Me think, too. I, I think everybody does. Just I, getting outside. Yeah, I think Just you're get right. Outside. Yes. So if we're advocating getting outside, what do people really need to turn their minds to in order to do that properly? The first thing is you have to realize it's a shift. It's a shift of an environment. It's a shift in your equipment, probably that you're yep. using. You know, it, it could be that you were outside in the winter, but winter sports tend to be things like skiing, skating, that type of activity. And you think about your ankles in those sports and they are really, you know, they're encased in a ski boot or they're encased in a skate or something like that. So if you quickly shift from that and all of a sudden say, I'm going to go run on a trail, your ankles actually aren't strong enough and stable enough to do that type of activity right away. So that's a really important piece to be aware of. We see the majority in our clinics, the majority of injuries come in in the spring. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's a tough time for transition. Another really important variable that happens in the spring is ice. Yeah. And it's because we're melting. Yeah. And then overnight, it will freeze. It's the black ice. It's the black ice. And you can hit your sidewalk right in front of your house, and you could be on the sidewalk instead of traversing the sidewalk because that part is very tricky, and sometimes you're not expecting it. And usually, most of the nights in the spring, we will freeze. So, you know, you combine that with the melting, we've got sheer ice everywhere. So I always say to be overly careful for those first few weeks of spring right. so that you are prepared for the terrain, whether it's you know getting the little covers for your shoes that have the spikes in them. There'll be many days, and I'm exactly the same, where I think, I don't need these today. 
But just bring them anyhow, because sometimes you don't know. You know, you get to your trail and you're like, "Oh, great! It's sheer ice." Now I'm either going to try to do it or I'm going to turn around and go home. And、right. and you don't want to have to do that. So be prepared for the ice because it is a transition time. And also the melt, right? The yeah, muck, the muck, the, mud. the muck,、It's、slippery、right? too, right? So like if you're used to doing stuff on a hard ground, and then、yeah. all of a sudden you're getting sloshy, yes, it, it's slippery. Yes, your shoes can stick. There's all kinds of things that can happen、yeah. in the transition period、yeah. too. It's a really variable time, so you want to pay、yep. attention to your weather, figure out what the temperature was the night before, and and really be prepared because. Those are the types of injuries that can really put you out. You know,、yeah. a, a fall many times leads to either a bad sprain or some often a fracture, and that's something that's not the way you want to start the、no. nice weather is with a fracture. So, is there anything we can do? Like, if we haven't really been sort of mobilizing with ankles, sort of. Going in different directions. How do we get strong enough so that if we're going to get out in the spring, we're not going to have that injury? It's a very good question. So you want to imitate some of the activities you do in the spring while you're in the gym. Right. So during this period of transition, you want to spend extra time working on your balance. Extra time working on your ankle strength. It's a very interesting factor that really affects a lot of runners. And there's research that's shown that the most limiting part of our body for running is our ankle strength. Oh yeah. And I think it's because it's an area that we neglect. You know, you go to the gym and you say, "Okay, I've got to work my legs," but you rarely think, "Oh, and I've got to strengthen my ankles." Well, how do you strengthen your ankle? I'm like, I'm、Good、asking、question. for a yeah, friend, yeah, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have such crappy ankles. Where stays? I'm begging you.、Yes. What do I do? Okay, so there's some really good exercises. I love like all the heel raises. Yep. So we want to get gastrocs, which is you know the big muscle kind of people will call it their calf muscle. Right. That one's very important. So you want to do that with a straight leg, where you're just doing your heel raises. You can go over a step or over the、right. edge of the treadmill, whatever whatever、yeah. ledge you can find. That's fine. So you want to do a lot of those, and then you can add weight to them. You can go one foot at a time.、Yep. That's a great way to strengthen that. Then you want to get soleus, which is the muscle that's underneath. So you do it with a bent knee. So you you're doing the same raises, but you bend your knee. You can do it seated. You can put a weight on top of your knees. So anything that you can find for soleus is very important. And then if we go around to the front side. Tibialis anterior. So you want to be doing things where you lift your toes up, because as you know, that's super important with running.、Yep. Sometimes those bands are really great. You know, you can put those rubber bands around your ankle, and you can do all kinds of things, or you can do walking movements. So that's one factor. Then the other factor is balance. Yes. So whether or not you're just practicing standing on one foot with your eyes closed, whether you're practicing standing on one foot while your buddy's throwing a medicine ball at you. Whatever it is, really challenge your balance before you get out there, because there's hundreds of little muscles and tendons and ligaments in your feet, and they're、yeah. designed to work so that when you go off balance, they're going to correct you. But if we don't train them, that ability goes away, and we want to really bring that back for、uh, you know a million different reasons. But it is really important that we always try to train our balance and be aware of it. Okay. Other than the ankles and the ice, what else should we be looking out for? What else is out there? Well, coyotes. <laughs> coyotes. I've come across so many coyotes lately. Yeah, I'm really hoping that you don't encounter the coyotes. It's a real a joke, they, but it's not a they, joke, right? I、like、know if you, if they if are if out there. They they've got 
puppies, you know, at that time of year. So, yeah. You got, so if you're running with your dog, you yeah, kind of have, have to be careful. You, have to be you careful. and I have to be careful of them. I think most people won't have to. Yeah. Um, the clothing that you wear, so yeah. you want to layer. The last thing you want to be doing is being outside doing exercise while you're freezing cold. So I always err on the side of caution to dress, overdress, put your toque on, put a, you know, put a coat on over top, something that you can take off and tie around your waist. Mm-hmm. It's really healthy for our body, for our joints, for our ligaments, for our synovial fluid to be warm while we're trying to move. Right. If we're freezing cold, you know, we've all probably been there where you've been stuck out somewhere and the winds come up and you are not having a good time because you're cold. You know, you see it happen on the golf course. You start your day and it looks like the sun is out, but by the time, you know, you're halfway through, you're dying because it's windy or rainy or something. So always dress to be extra warm knowing that you can take some clothing off. So for spring, layers are essential. What about warm-ups? Do we have to warm up differently if we're, if we're going outside? I think I think what you do is it's very specific to the activity that you're going to do. So just do that similar movement, but ease into it a little slowly. You know, so if it's running, do a bit of a walk first. You can, you know, if you want to stop and swing your legs around a little bit, it's, I'm all for warm-ups. I yeah. just know that lots of people won't take the time to do them. So yeah, I know we're I'm, just talking. Yeah. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happier that you're getting out. That is the key. And I guess the other thing is, you know, you're not, it's not summer daylight either. So if you're running earlier in the morning or if you're running after dinner, you know, darkness is going to come around. So you yes. still have to wear reflective clothing, right? Yes. Not everybody's going to be looking for you if yes. you're out in March and April yes. running. We're not used to it yet. No, right? Yeah. So you got to be careful when you're out there and don't expect that people can see you yes. unless you're making yourself be seen. Always wear the reflective clothing. I love the things even with the flashing lights on them. I, I well, think that's it's, a bit much. I, I think it's great though. Like safety, fas- safety a- first. You're right. It does look a little weird. My dog does bark at that when it happens. (laughs) It's a fashion statement. It's a bit of a fashion statement. But yeah, be prepared and make sure that, you know, you've got everything set. If you have an old nagging injury and you know that it acts up when you start doing your spring activities. So there's many injuries that are fine when we're skiing or skating or those types of things. But when we start doing the actual pounding movements, they do act up. So try to deal with that prior to your spring activity. So maybe you go for you know a little tune-up with whoever your provider is. I think that's a great idea. And then finally, we get so excited when it's nice weather. Yeah. And you want to pace yourself. So don't think you're going to go out for a two-hour run maybe that first day. You you know, kind of ease into it. Understand that your body has to adjust to the different terrain and the different demands being put on it. So take your time. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the scenery. But don't feel like, you know, you've got to really pound yourself into the spring training. It's better to ease into it. We have the rest of the spring and summer and fall to enjoy. You don't want to ruin it by being laid up. No, and that's the whole idea is that we want to ease into it so it's all fun and enjoyable. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Tracy Sograti, Naomi Bussin, and Stacey Irvine. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by Naomi Bussin, Tracy Sograti, and amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the natural treatment of menopause, communicating sexual desire, executing meatless Mondays for March, and natural travel tips. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.